Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tea and Ray's funny, but no, we weren't. Oh, Recorded? We were Live. working the... The opposite of one world government, all of us. U.N. American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human god to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. Who is the bigger liar? The public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the American Underground Network Collective Consciousness Show with Jim Condon, Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Fred Smart in Evanston, Illinois, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Portland, Oregon, your host, Dee Dee Farrell. Um, hello, again. You'd <laughs> um, like this, Steve. I saw a, a report today by a, a newscaster called Charlie Brennan, and he said uh, he said new information has come forward on the uh, the uh, J- Jam, uh, the what's her name Jambonet Ramsey the little girl yeah John, he said new information John John yeah that's it it has come forward on this case uh, new information has come forward and uh, we're and they've realized that the former police chief Mark Breckner did not uh, handle the DNA reports properly and and so now the case is being opened up again and (laughs) i know that's because of our archive that because it went to that guy it went to all these people that is great so i thought that that was kind of (laughs) neat oh yeah that's really good because there again that's a uh a tribute to the effort not only by us but everybody that takes part with this so yeah that's really awesome i'm really happy to hear that that is so good. Yeah, yeah. 
It was on um, Freedom Phoenix, the news yeah. group that I, yeah, you know that one. And it was on there, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's Hancock, right? Uh, Freedom Phoenix, that's uh, Ernest Hancock, right? Yeah, that's all. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't look at all the stuff he has on there, but it's a catch. Some of it catch my. He does quite a range: science and politics, and you know what on. But that's where I saw the report by Ron Paul today too, where he talked. He was talking at the Mises Institute. Yeah. Uh, about you know, all these different things that the 21st century was here to prove were wrong and let's move on from here. (laughs) Fascism, communism, all those things. It was interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. I'm glad to hear that. That's, uh, I'll have to check that out. So I'll go over and check that out on the site. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's neat. I'm hoping uh, Melinda gets, uh, she probably is aware of it anyway. That's good. Yeah. I thought that was great. Uh, so what about Sam? Sam coming in tonight, Ray? You talk to him? Dr. Cross? Where'd you go, Ray? <laughs> Can you hear me now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I was muted. Um, no, I haven't talked to him today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably he's probably got bombed out with the storm too. That's, I'm sure that same storm system hit him. He doesn't drain his swimming pool, so I wonder if he's out there ice skating. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't drain it. He said he doesn't even swim it anymore. He just lets the children swim it. So he leaves it over the winter so he doesn't have to fill it again, huh? I guess he covers it or whatever. Oh, well, that's a good idea. Uh, does water with chlorine in it freeze? Yeah, it will. I guess it would. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I... The only time it won't is if you have a, you know, you'd almost have to be like a glycol. I mean, you sure wouldn't want to swimming that, so yeah, it'll, it'll freeze. I suppose it wouldn't freeze the whole thing because it would have to be pretty cold, and that way, I guess all the drains and everything don't get wrecked. Yeah, of probably course. just freezes. Yeah, it wouldn't mm-hmm. go down blow a couple of inches, but you know, it. it can, yeah. You know, I guess if you're in Alaska or somewhere in, in Minnesota, you'd probably get a pretty thick layer, several inches. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, I guess, you know, come summertime, you can get that shock treatment and get the chemicals right in it. Did y'all hear that the Niagara Falls partially froze? Really? Damn. Wow. How is that happen? How is that possible? It must have been really cold. Golly. Must have been. I would think it would be moving so fast it wouldn't freeze. It has to be awfully cold to, for that to freeze. That's right. Wow. Gosh. Yeah, everybody around here is already thinking about gardening and stuff. So I don't know. I hope it, <laughs> hope it hangs in there. It was all 
kind of really cloudy today. All during that sunny week, we just had this 57 degrees. They were chemtrailing like crazy. So I thought, oh, I wonder what, what's next. <laughs> but this is all supposed to be gone in another day or two, the, the colder. My friend from Maui is flying in tonight. <laughs> she's going to freeze. <laughs> yeah, compared to what she's been used to, that's right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, she's coming in. I'm going to meet with her tomorrow for hot tubbing at the Shiloh and happy hour. <laughs> All right. And, cool. Yeah, and then she's flying to, flying to San Francisco. A friend, uh, niece of hers is playing in some national soccer league, a girls' soccer league, and she's going to see her last game. Oh, then coming cool. back and spending a week here, another week here, and thankfully it'll be a nice sunny week next week. So. That's good. Yeah, she decided last time she was here she was going to come more often because she misses her friends and her and her kids. Yeah. Yeah, you know that's been that's been what three years ago you wrote there, Dee. Oh, I think it was more like four now. Wow, that's hard to believe. It doesn't seem like that long because I know you were on the show, you know, giving us a, like a live talk when you were there in Maui, and it's what <laughs> I think it was five hours difference between. Uh, yeah, it was like five hours difference between uh, Maui and the East Coast. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I had that big lay of flowers around my neck. We were having cocktails. I was talking to you guys on the phone. It was great. I can't believe it. Oh, I felt so There's nothing like that feeling of stepping off a plane into a warm environment. It's just delicious. It's not so good coming back the other way, however. It's not just warm. It's the... the um, uh, uh, the aroma, the, the you know, you can smell the floral when you get off the. At least you can in Tahiti. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get yeah. to smell that in Hawaii, but I'm sure you do. But you know, when, when yeah, I went, it's a whole different, whole different thing. Yeah. When I went to Tahiti, I'm gonna break away just for a moment and call Sam and see if he's forgotten. All right. Yeah. When we went there in 1980, we got off of Air France, and there was not a concourse. I mean, you know, not a a, a walkway. You had to go down a staircase and off of 747, so you walked to the ground. But as soon as you walked outside, you know, going down the staircase, you could the floor of the whole environment just hit you right in the face. It's incredible. Yeah, just, it's like that was like that in Maui too. Yeah. Yeah, that's just so nice. God, really nice. I know because when you walk, when you get off a plane there and you walk, you know, through the terminal, there's one side of it is open. Right. So you're walking in a in an open breezeway, and it's so nice. And it was the same in Costa Rica. It was just, it was really good. But I swore I'd never go to a warm country and come back in the winter, but I couldn't resist that Maui trip. And it was 30-some, 35 degrees when I got back. Actually, I think it must have been colder because I had to chip ice off my window to get my yeah. car out of my brother's driveway. I remember that that plainly, and that was four years ago. (laughs) Uh, Well, Sam forgot, but he said he's going to call up and uh, get on it right now. Oh, cool. Oh, good. Well, all right. I nearly forgot myself. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I left the house where my brother is, and I thought, oh, i got to get going. i got to get on the phone. I'm driving casually home thinking, oh, what should I do tonight? And then I went, oh, <laughs> how could I forget? <laughs> You'd think that would never happen after eight years. <laughs> oh, there's one thing I want to report to you all. I don't know if, if uh, you've heard it or not, but uh, several weeks ago, Mike from Louisiana, yeah. his house uh, burned on the outside, and the inside was damaged by water from the fire department. And so oh. now he's just living in a shed with an electric heater and, a, and his dog. Oh, oh, that is so sad. Yeah. What, what in the world happened, Ray? I don't know. His, his uh, house he was renting caught fire somehow. Damn. Oh, maybe it was electrical or something? Had to be. No. Wow. Oh, that, that is just... It got soaked when they, when they spray it with water. Oh, that is so sad. Hmm. So he basically he lost everything. With his two dogs. And he lost everything, huh? I don't know if he's able to recover his things or not. Oh, God, that is so sad. He's had such oh. a hardship for now several years. It's very sad. Oh, that is just pathetic. Uh, I wish I had a lot of means, man. I'd go down there and save him. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Mike's the one with the two bl- the bloodhound dogs by the... Yeah. 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 They're mastiffs. Some, some sort of mastiffs. Real big dogs. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Jay, Jay, uh, has met up with him before. He was driving the truck down there, and and uh, we know was talking to him. And then he went by by his place, or he met up with him somewhere down there. Because Jay was going. Through. I don't think they actually ever made contact. They, they came close, but they were supposed to meet at one place, and there was a mix-up. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. But Henry oh. went and visited him. Oh, did he? Yeah, Henry gave him a computer. Henry set him up online. I remember that. Well, uh, Jay, y'all to, I mean, not Jay, Ray, y'all to, y'all to email Henry and let him know, too, unless he's on the call. And I need Mike to, yeah. I, I need to do that. Yeah, Mike doesn't have any way of getting online now. All he's got now is his cell phone. Oh, gosh, he lost his computer that Henry gave him. That is really sad. Oh, man. And I thought I was in trouble here. <laughs> wow, that is really bad. Yeah, he's always he would always be you know in the backstage area most time when he call in and ask us to mute him. So yeah, I hate that. Yeah, he's a good fellow. Yeah, well, he's like part of our family here, and that's that's unfortunate that none of us are in a place to help him either. We're all getting by. And when he first joined the call, he had a wife and four dogs. Now he's down to no wife and two dogs. And no house. House, <laughs> yeah. Right. I just hate that. Still kind of cold in his area, the neck of the woods, too. Yeah, I don't care how small of a space you got. You can't really stay warm with a space heater. I've lived in cabins and all kinds of stuff when I was younger. And, man, it is not fun. I'm hoping 
see Dave Wallen come in because uh, uh, since I got those numbers corrected, so maybe he can call in tonight too. Yeah, I see Sam made it. Hi, Dr. Sam. Yeah, yeah, I I keep forgetting. I don't know. I get on the computer and I get engrossed with that my emails. Well, we're having an open so. having yeah, an open forum. So, yeah. yeah, I got, I I received the email about that. Yeah. Oh, cool. What are you discussing? Uh, well, I thought it was interesting, Sam, and and I'm sure you can add to that. That kind of blew me away seeing that uh, of all things, Saudi Arabia is cooperating with Israel. God, yeah. That just and also out. and also they're supplying ISIS. Yeah, that's right. And they're what what the whole thing is by cooperating with them, they're going to give Israel. I mean, that's that's just unheard of to hear that that they're going to give them permission to fly across their airspace to attack uh, Iran. That was the whole. I heard they. I heard they would. Yeah. That blew me away. Well, when you consider who the royal family of Saudi Arabia is and you consider what's actually uh, who created ISIS, it all fits like a hand in a glove. Well, Saudi Arabia ruler, the Saudi Saudi family is Jewish. I don't know if you're aware of that. That's what I was referring to. Yeah, they're Jewish. Yeah, they're just kind of that happen. They're they're just kind of screwing over all their people. Yeah, their ancestors. They 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 descended from Jewish family. Everything's a false flag, isn't it, Sam? Everything is a false flag. Yeah. Yeah, including the weather. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. That that's weather. Who's behind that weather? I, you know, I've been saying that. You know, you know I've, I've had emails. They're blaming it on Russia for the weather. Oh no, it's it's the there's five countries involved in the in the chemical profits from the chemtrails. It's geoengineering, and it's you know who he who controls the weather controls the world now. <laughs> yeah, well, we have that harp base up in Alaska. Yeah, there's a lot of heart bases around the world now. That yeah. one in Alaska closed down, but there's plenty more to take its place. <laughs> yeah. There was a book out, Angels Don't Play This Harp. Yeah, that was one of the first things that was out about that, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We're being manipulated, lied to. You know, everything's a big lie. Yeah, the beauty of it is we know it's a lie. <laughs> yeah. We can't do anything about it. We can just watch it fall apart on its own because it's such a low, a low deal. I don't know. Ron Paul was so inspiring today. You know, he was saying it's the end of the era. You know, you can't you can't change and fight the people in government. You just have to wait for it to drive itself out, and it is. And um, he said that 21st century was for proving what was wrong, and he included communism, fascism, Keynesian money, and Federal Reserve in that little list, and. It was a brilliant conversation. I really enjoyed listening to him as usual. It's inspiring. Yeah. Who, control, yeah. who controls the Federal Reserve, though? The, the big central bankers, you know. And who are they? Well, Rothschild, for one, and the Vatican, and City of London. And I don't know. There's, I don't know all their names. We know the most obvious names. Yeah. But Well, there's Rothschilds, 
And they, the Rothschilds, definitely. You know, they operate out of the city of London. They control Britain. and and out of Israel. That's his that's his baby. The Israel. Yeah. yeah. And then there's been a big push. There's been a big push to audit the Fed, and this won't go anywhere. But well, it's bankrupt, and they, you know, everybody thinks in the Fed, oh, the people of America in the Fed. No, the central bankers are going to in the Fed because it's a bankrupt bank, and it doesn't serve them anymore. Yeah, they just keep printing more money. So I'm guessing they're either going to go, oh, okay, let's tip over the monopoly board and let's start over with a new currency the SDR or whatever they were talking about years back, or Bitcoin or whatever it's going to be, but they'll just get that over. Ron Paul said paper money, of course, is not long for this world, but he was talking about being back on the gold. They're going to put us back on the gold thing now that the gold's all owned, you know. And um, people are just going to have to learn to get on their get along on their own basically and, and then there's this big push for all the seceding from the union of all these states before a revolution revolution can occur uh, well who said that a couple of years back was it either mike mike or ray or, or talked about this and they called it the war of northern aggression which i thought was pretty cool i'd never heard that before and that's better title for it anyway than the Civil War. Yeah, I think Mike said that very often. Yeah. Yeah, I think well, it was I an article. I don't they let states out now. How, they, no, they ain't going to let any state get out now, are they? Or is it just... Oh, like, well, there's Scotland several of them. Do it? And who was oh, there's, there's about 18 or 20 of them that won out. Texas and... I was reading the article by Chuck, Pastor Chuck Baldwin this morning, and he was talking about why don't we do all this before we have to have a violent revolution to get there, you know? Let's just, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't worry too much about it anymore because you, you can't fix it, and I don't want to see the violence. So I'm just assuming that they're gonna, the country's just going to evolve its way out of the, the whole thing, you know? It's going to get so smart and so informed that the power grid's just going to fall apart. I mean, that's what I'm counting on. I know that sounds optimistic, but oh. I just don't know what else we can count on, you know? Well, well like the Federal Reserve, I was just going to say the Federal Reserve, if they know they can't raise, there's so much money owed and so much money printed that they, like, tip over the monopoly over again. Otherwise, they're going to have to have a huge war is their other standard procedure, isn't it, to get out of... Yeah. Yeah, but the Federal Reserve doesn't print that much money. There's only about $1.8 trillion in circulation. There's not enough to cover the bank accounts, the saving accounts, yeah. the debt, and everything else. Yeah, it's this bankrupt bank. There's no question about it. I don't think we're going to have to worry about them much longer. But. Yeah. Well, no, the Federal Reserve is never going to go bankrupt. We're paying interest to the Federal Reserve. About well, every time you play, every, well, every time you pay taxes, you're paying a, giving them an interest-free loan. Yeah. But what we need is a tax revolt. <laughs> because he, he, uh, what you could do is repudiate the debt owed to the Federal Reserve. That's all. Wipe it off. Repudiate. Yeah. Because they they created it out of thin air. Yeah, that's true. This is one of the planks of the Populist Party back in the 1980s. Repudiate the debt owed to the Federal Reserve. We owe China about 1.2 trillion dollars. You know, in their bonds. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I forget who else we owe a trillion dollar to. I don't know if it's India or someone else. 
Oh, I thought the quantitative, all the quantitative easings and the TARP program, I thought they were like printing up or adding dollars to the. No, 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 they, this, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's just like if you go to, if, when a bank makes a loan, for every dollar on deposit the bank has, they're allowed to loan $10, even though they don't have the $9 on deposit. So they're collecting money on the, so what they do, everybody deposits in the checking account, so there's no really no money being spent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, and then on the international scene, for every dollar on deposit, they're allowed to load a hundred dollars. So they really don't have the other uh, nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. So they're loading. I, it's all it's all digital entry. Mm-hmm. Oh. I was well, trying to tell my brother that he just bought a house, and I said, well, you know, they never gave you a pile of money to buy this house. And he goes, no. And I said, that's because it's only numbers and digits. It's not really actual cash, you know. <laughs> but, but if you but miss, you, if you miss your payment, they're going to come and take it away from you anyway. So. Yeah, they want money. That's like uh, uh, the, the savings alone. See, they screwed the savings loan. For every dollar on deposit in the savings loan, they're only allowed to loan one dollar. Yeah, that big financial crash in the early 80s, that was, and Frank Keating was one of the bad boys that went, one of the few that went to prison. But that was, the savings and loans all got wiped out, but not regular banks, whatever the deal was back then. But see, they don't need a lot of dollar for dollar. Whereas the banks, a lot of dollar for every dollar, they a lot of little $10. That's why they want money deposited. And then you pay by a check. You know, you don't, you know, it's, it's, they got the, the, the uh, bankers have a start to a science. They, they, you know, and, and he, you said that the people are going to be informed. How are they going to be informed when the mainstream media is controlled by six corporations? 90% of the media is controlled by six corporations. And it's I all the, it's all the bankers own it, you know? Well, yeah. yeah. They don't, you know, I mean, we were informed before the Internet started. I knew all this stuff, not maybe yeah, all the details. That. But how many but, people you talk to know it, know what you know? Uh, more all the time, but, yeah, I know it's a small majority, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's more than we think, you know, but I, I don't know. It's also confusing. I think it's hard to see the whole thing all the way through, you know, I mean, Gosh, bless this call, because we know a lot more than we knew eight years ago, you know. And so I don't know if people actually have to know it for it to be the truth. You know, collective consciousness is like the hundredth monkey. You know, you go down and you wash your sweet potato off, and pretty soon monkeys all over islands for 300 miles are doing the same, and they never talk to each other about it. So I just feel like we're at a place in evolution of consciousness where it's you know, there's people on this planet that that will never know any of this stuff, you know, and it'll still occur, it'll still be bad, it'll still be good, but they'll never know it. So those of us that know these things, just the knowing, is the knowing enough to, to build a, a larger collective consciousness? I think it is, because otherwise it's futile. You know, if if we can't communicate with each other in the typical normal means, then, then what do we have, you know? we All we have is collective consciousness and I believe that makes a huge difference 
I've seen it in groups of people where I can go in with an idea and I'm the only one that has the idea and pretty soon everybody's coming up to me and sharing this idea with me as if it never came from me. And <laughs> I've seen that happen before. And well, we, it just hmm. it's kind of phenomenal, you know, the way that awareness works. You know, it, it does work despite, you know, despite the controllers, you know. I mean, we... We can know what's going on, and we can be concerned about it, but we can't give all of our all of our innate angelic and evolutionary power away to them, you know, by saying, "Oh, they've got us. That's it. End the story." You know, it's I can't go there. You know, it doesn't seem productive to think that we're forever doomed because a small group of people have been in control for centuries. I know that doesn't make sense, but it doesn't make sense to me to give away all the power just because they think they own it, you know, that's a good reason not to think of them as being all all powerful, you know. They're just greedy, de-evolved, you know, disintegrated beings who have a weird role to play right now in, the, in, in this life. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, we could be... We've had collective consciousness for the history of man for the last whatever, 100,000 or 200,000 years, and by itself it wasn't that, didn't do much. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know what the answer is to that. I just think that we've come a long way, you know. People... Well, for me, I didn't know anything until the Internet, and then I was constantly going, what? Say what? But... And now the Net Neutrality Act, it's just like the Patriot Bill. It kind of means the opposite of what the title of the bill is, but that sounds like that's a way for them to to let the FCC control the Internet and then they can shut it off like they did in Egypt during the riots or and control it, which I guess sounds like a bad thing, I guess, the Net Neutrality Act. As you were saying, that helped to enlighten everybody is one thing that happened. Yeah, sometimes things work in contrast, you know, um, to what they're designed to do by the powers that be. You know, they put out this these things and thinking, oh, we got you now, and then everybody just evolves past it. <laughs> it's like it's like Comcast and Time Warner and all that's a good example. They bought they they own basically in this state anyway, the Internet. And you can get other Internets, but they don't work as well. And you, in the end, you end up getting stuck in this monopoly. Not everybody, but um, but now there's devices on the market and the tech, technological market that are going to wipe out all paid Internet and all paid television. So we're going to evolve right past them with the technology. You know, and I, and I think that's part of the key. You know, it's just... We don't stop because someone's stopping us. We keep being more inventive and more courageous and 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 more informed, despite uh, you know, despite the appearance or the seemingness of of the end all controllers, you know. Yeah. And I know they've been here for a long time. There's no question about that. But yeah, just themselves as a group of evil guys. Just human beings by themselves being this evil group of men, right? Yeah, and they spread rumors and people think they're true. Like somebody 
was saying they thought all ETs were demonic beings. You know, well, there I know there's at least 82 defined species right now that are on the planet or around it, and I know there are a lot more than that that aren't here living actually among us, but there's a lot that are. And yeah, part of those are part of this whole problem. They work with these controllers, and they, they probably started it, you know. But um, but they're not the only players in the game, just like the Obamas and the, you know, all those other terrible people that the Geithners and oh, all the way down the list. They're not they're not the only game in town. And although they think they are and they think they're going to continue to be, I think they're going to get their a big surprise coming up. I don't think they're going to be able to to hold back the evolution of the of this this era we're in or this age we're in. Yeah. All I know is I want old technology or I got an excuse not to buy new stuff anyway. For these cars, but people, they can shut those cars off remotely. There are stories about people that didn't miss their payments and the collection company just shuts their car off. They're driving home from work and and it's just scary. They know wherever you're at. And then this week there was a story about Samsung televisions. Now all you can do voice control with them. But that also means, and then they have Samsung said, well, we don't do it. It goes to another company, but they can listen to your conversations in your room. So oh, yeah. And people, huh, people, that have smart, people that have smartphones are just setting themselves up. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't huh. have a smart car that somebody else could shut off. You know, just because you want a brand new car, does that mean you want to put yourself in the position of having somebody being able to control your car from a distance? Yeah, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I mean, come on, you know. It's a force. It's an engine. It's the same engine that's been around since the engine was invented. And they put all this shiny, you know, where you can have a party in your car, you know. Huh. There's a bar here and there's a television. and there, I mean, who needs that crap to get from point A to point B? Yeah, it's fun, but it's not fun while while our planet is being ruled by a bunch of psychopaths. Well, like who is that, Rothschild or one of them guys said, what do you want to be if you're reincarnated and come back? And he says he wants to come back as a, the plague or some disease to wipe out most because he thinks there's overpopulation. And, <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy out there. It's a strange but, I mean, place. They're talking about now there's, there's just so much in the future. There's going to be just a few jobs that require in, uh, training and stuff. And then there's going to be so many people because of robotics and stuff that pretty soon manufacturing plants will be all robots. And there won't be a need necessary for anybody to be on this. So what are you going to do with all these people? Well, those rich people are probably thinking, well, we need to depopulate, whereas somebody else could say, well, we could, you know, everybody could learn an art or start populating cars or whatever, something constructive instead of wiping out the population. But <laughs> Yeah, have you ever seen the movie Thrive? Thrive? Thrive. Yeah, that Procter & Gamble guy. The well, Procter, running. yeah, Foster, Procter, yeah, Foster Gamble, yeah. Yeah. That's more realistic to me. I mean, I don't. I know that stuff's already going on. That likes in the movie. It's just there's a whole demographic of humanity that doesn't participate in all the fear and the giving their power to the controllers. And you know, they're living peaceful lives. And yeah, it's not a nice 
to know all this stuff about the country and people starving, and that's terrible. I mean, I would, I think a lot of people would change that in a heartbeat, you know, if it wasn't for the controls on them. But um, I don't know. There's people that are born and live and die here that don't know any of the stuff that we're so sure about, and they don't seem to suffer behind it. I don't know. I think I'd rather be awake and aware then I could make a more informed choice about the way I want to live. But it occurred to me that not everybody knows about this, and, and there will be many that will never know about it. So I don't know. How do you explain all this? So, so I could be watching really crappy sitcoms on TV right now instead of tuning in every Thursday night to the... Yeah, but that's not your calling. Your calling is to know these things and to be to feel they're important and to spend your time seeing what you can do about them, if anything. I mean, my point is that everybody, sh- I don't want everybody to be complicit. I mean, to go, you know, to just lay back and forget about all the suffering that goes on. But I'm just saying that there's a, there's so much of everything that goes on here. You know, there's this and that and this and that and this and that. And we happen to be focusing on on the larger picture and its its whole meaning. But I I still think it's all happening exactly the way it's supposed to happen. And going forward, the controllers, I feel, will lose their control and then there will be a lot of people in our genre of reality that will be leaders to help people sort this out, you know, and say, well, what do you really want to, what do you really prefer? What do you, What would you really like to see happen in your world? Instead of just saying, oh, they're in charge, that's it, it's over, we're doomed. Mm. Excuse me, folks. There is a way out of the the spider web. Do tell. Yeah, there is a way. Well, first of all... Yeah, I believe there is. There is, and you have to. Well, you have first of all, you have to be educated enough to know, do research enough to know where the Achilles' heel is, you know, to the system. And once you find that, you know, just like a, a normal investigator, you know, investigating a, a problem or a crime or whatever, you know, how can we stop the, the criminal? You know, we have to we have to figure out how we can do that. You know, short of of uh, you know taking them out in a revolution. Uh, you know, they took us out without a revolution. You know, without a shooting revolution. That is, they took us out that way. And you know, the the law of uh, physics. You know, that says uh, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. You have to believe that that's true, and it is. It is true. Anything yeah. that can be done can be undone, but you got to find mm-hmm. the way to undo it. You know, you 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 got to. A lot of us seem to be bringing uh, hammers and screwdrivers and and pliers to the to fix the problem when what we need are saws and and other types of tools. And that's where the problem is. We we try these other methods. That, and they, we see they don't work, but we keep doing it over and over and over, seeing that it doesn't work every time. And we wear ourselves out fighting, you know, fighting it with the wrong tools. We we have to find the right tools to do it. And we're all of this 
really leads to, or, or what I should say is the what I've found through my research, the answer to it is that everybody's saying this. Everybody uses this term. They say we need enforcement, you know, and that's right. That's where really it is. It's in the enforcement. And so since we know that, then how can we best enforce uh, the way that this country was operating before these progressives came along and started undoing it and dismantling it? Uh, And the only way really that can be done is how the framers set up our country, and that is they, they they put three branches of government together. And uh, the executive, the legislative, and judicial. And the executive branch is to carry out a sentence, right? To take care of of, the, of a sentence. But the judiciary is to uh, see that the sentence, or, I mean, to, is to try the people for their crimes. And that's where the enforcement is. Now, when you look at the way it works today. We don't, our courts don't seem to be trying these people that are doing all this criminal activity. So that, what that tells me is that the courts that we have today are not the ones that we need. They're the wrong oh, no. courts. Okay? Yeah. They're wrong. All the, way across the, all the way across the board, they're wrong. Now, I won't, say, yeah. I won't go as far as to say is that all of the appellate courts are completely done, I mean, have been completely done away with, but our state courts in every state have been uh, overcome uh, the process, the original process that was uh, mm-hmm. extant throughout the nation before these progressives come along has been overcome by a different process. And that process is not working. It's not taking care of real criminals. You know, it'll take care of the of the of the low life criminal maybe the street criminal but it's not taking care of the real big criminal the one that's really doing all the harm in a big way and the only way that you can get back to where those people can be uh taken to a, a, a placed on account of their crimes is to have uh, a different court and that court is the law courts the right that's what that's what's uh, prompted the fully informed juries and the National Liberty Alliance is is to get back the courts. Definitely, well, I think the Liberty Alliance is going at, the Liberty Alliance is going at it backwards, though. What they what they're not doing, they? what they're not <laughs> recognizing. Yes, they're going at it backwards. See, that's what I'm saying. We've got the wrong tools. Mm-hmm. Got to get the right I tools see. to make it work. It's mm-hmm. okay to work with the grand juries and everything, but the thing about it is, is that grand juries uh, are not the first priority. Think about okay. it. Where does it? What needs to be uh, available so a grand jury will be able to sit and be able to bring an indictment? And where are they going to present the indictment to? They, they can't present it to the courts today because they don't even recognize. It. So what has to happen first, you have to have the vehicle, which is the law courts, to be set up first. Then the grand juries will be set up by the people in that court. But if you don't get that court Uh first, 
You'll never you you we could be working with grand juries halfway through the millennium. And we're never going to go anywhere until we gain the court that it takes, the proper judge in the proper court, that the grand jury is going to be able to present their indictment to, see, so that it can be tried, for the crimes can be tried, right? So if you, if all of us, and I know all of us have probably at some point in time either heard this or we've actually investigated it ourselves as to whether we have any more actual, everybody calls them common law courts, but they're actually a law courts is what they are. Uh, we've investigated them over and over and over in every state, and they don't exist anymore. If you ask your Supreme Court of your state, where are the common law courts in our state, they're going to say, well, there aren't any. They all say that. So that that should be a big clue to us as to what we need to bring back. Well, you know, you have you, do you know who Roger Widener? Do you know who Roger Widener is? Roger Widener. Roger Widener. Yeah, he was a former prosecuting attorney here in Portland, Oregon, and he he's been fighting in the courts, and they put him in a mental institute and kind of jacked up his brain. But he they still fight here to get people from losing their children and from losing their land, and he says the key is to go into the clerk of the court and file a complaint, have it date stamped and put on the record and then accompany with an affidavit and then the judge has no choice but to file for a, a, a summary judgment on that complaint. And that means that even without lawyers, even without the other side that's the the perpetrator of the crime, the judge has no choice but to make a rule of law the summary judgment on the complaint. And Roger swears that if we were actually doing that, with the criminals and filing, you know, with the clerks of the court and having an affidavit to back up the complaint, and then the judge has to, by law, make a summary judgment on the pleading, you know. And so I understand what he's saying, but what's happened here in Oregon is they've been able to stop a lot of crime by by the judges becoming aware that that's their real job to do that. And now when Roger goes in the court, they don't arrest him. They don't throw him on the ground. I've seen them do that. They just bow their head and say, good morning. And then he says, I'm here by special appearance. Unless otherwise informed, I'm in a in a constitutional rule of law court. You know, and so he says, if everybody could just learn this in school, then when they drug you in to try to accuse you of something, you would have a recourse and you'd have actually a way of getting through it. But other than well, what he's problem, talked about. The problem with that is, yeah, the problem with that is, though, and I understand basically what he's doing. He's he's trying to set up a law court when he walks in. But the thing about it is, You're right, yeah. uh, what nobody is is seeing, but it's right in front of their face. If you go back to your Constitution and you go back to the nationalization laws of the country, you'll find that there are only certain people who have political uh, power or political rights. They call them political rights. Uh, and it happens to be the male as the political rights at law now. I'm talking about as the, as the original law was set up, the male person are the ones that had to be 21 years of age the, to be able to vote, to be able to do anything in government whatsoever. And when we look in our courts, we find three things wrong with the courts. To start with, the, the common law courts are the law courts, 
had to be set up in such a way. There was there were prerequisites for a person to be able to be in in those courts. And by the way, the laws have not been changed. The laws were never repealed. All of these laws that that were original from the very beginning have not been done away with. And that includes miscegenation laws. That includes uh, all of the laws, uh, the uh, Jim Crow laws, all of the laws that. Uh, you know, sodomy laws, all of those laws have not been repealed. They're still in full force and effect and can be used today. However, if you, they can't be used in the courtrooms that we have today because those courtrooms are not set up properly. According to law, it, the, if you go back to your Constitution, you can look in your... I'm talking about the original Constitution for your state. Uh, matter of fact... Uh, if you're from Oregon, I just got through sending a Constitution of Oregon. I think it's 1820 or 1870, 1870, I think. Uh, and I went through the Constitution and highlighted every part of that Constitution. And that Constitution it very clearly shows, and in most all other Constitutions it clearly shows, that in order to be a voter or to be in government, in any branch of government, uh, first of all, you have to be an Anglo-Saxon. And you got to be a male of the age of 21. Any other setup is not according to law. And so, therefore, if it's set up not according to law, then law cannot prevail in a setting that's not set up according to law, if you understand what I mean. They have no, um, uh, what would I say, they don't have any uh, authority to uh, use the original law of the land. I'm talking about the organic law of the land. They can't use that in these courts, and they don't. That The legal profession has actually reset up, uh, looking at the original organic law, they have ref uh, reflected a new set of codes, they call them, which are not sure. the law itself. It's just their pri it's private. Uh, yeah. Uh, private, uh, oh, yeah. And, and we, it they're not, not going to let... They're not, they're not. They're not going to let the states go back to their constitutional constitutions either. So that's well. Kind of, I mean, that's it. That's it. But who in the world's trying to do that? See, the people have to. We have to go back and say, look, we have to pick up a, a certified copy of our original constitution, which, by the way, uh, created your state, without which mm -hmm. your state doesn't exist. It, the original yeah, constitution. That was created was create was what created your state, right? So if it, if we don't have that constitution, your state don't exist, okay? And so that's what they've done. They have redone the constitution. They did that in the Civil War, by the way, and then all the other states fell into place and they changed their constitutions too. But those constitutions that were changed are not valid. They're not law. The only constitution of your state that's law is your original organic constitution, which uh, the people of the state created when they were brought into the Union. That's the only constitution that has any lawful effect whatsoever. The others do not. So that's what's happened. All they've done is just like an officer. What they've done is a, you know, an officer can enforce whatever law he chooses, and he can overlook whatever law he chooses. He does not have to enforce all of the law, and he don't. Most of the time, there's all kinds of laws you know, on their books. 
But if you go and look at their books, you'll see, well, they don't ever enforce this. You know, I've seen many laws like that where they don't even enforce them. So what, they, what they've done is they just have ignored, abandoned, if you will, the original law in favor of the new law, which is so-called law that they call codes. And, and they've just, it's been going on for so long, it's just become a tradition. And uh, nobody's even aware of it. They don't even understand it. They think all of the original organic law has been somehow repealed and done away with. But that's not true. Because, here's why we know this, is because the people that, that were in the legislatures and then in the Congress, right, uh, were not the people that were required by the Constitution. They, I mean, they did not have the qualifications, if that's what the word is. They didn't have the qualifications by the Constitution to be in government. So if they were in government, they had no power nor authority to repeal the organic law. They can't. They have no authority to do that. So they didn't. All they did was is they just ignored it, and they wrote their own stuff, their private stuff. The attorneys and all wrote up the new private codes, and they just follow the codes, and they just don't look at the others. What they say is, well, all that other stuff is in archive, and it's, uh, it's the old law. But, you know, if it was repealed, my position is, why do you even waste space in the, in the law library to even have those books in there. Why don't you take them out and put them in an archive somewhere, and if anybody wants to look back at them, uh, they can go to the archive. But they don't. They leave them in the law library. And the reason why they do is because it's still the law. They can't take them out of the law library if it's still working, if it's still um, functional, see? So what we have to do is we have to go back and, and reclaim, make, make state claim back on our original inheritance, that's what it's all really about, is reclaiming the inheritance in our land of those people who can do that. Not everybody can do that. Only the people that uh, were a part of the, let's see, how would I say this? Only the ones that this country was bequeathed to by the framers can make that claim. Nobody else can. And if you go back to the to the, to the uh, Constitution, preamble of the Constitution, tells you who they bequeathed it to. It says, we do ordain and establish this Constitution for ourselves and our posterity. Okay? A lot of people say, well, there's not anybody. I mean, you can't, you can't claim to be one of their posterity. Yes, you can. Because what they don't understand is that there's two definitions of posterity. One is direct lineage, and the other one is by blood or by stock, type of person. In other words, race, really, gets right down to race. And that's what they intended. They did not intend just their lineage. They intended anyone of the Anglo-Saxon people of the world. Okay? And here's another reason why we know that is because whenever they made up the Declaration of Independence, I think it's the fourth paragraph in the, in the, in the Declaration of Independence, it says, uh, let, this be, let this declaration be to a candid world. 
And if you look up the word candid, what do you think the definition of candid is? And if you go to go to Noah Webster's 1828, which was recognized by our Congress, the original organic Congress, the, the lawful Congress, if you go to the 1828 and look up the word candid, what do you think? That, does anybody have any idea what the definition of it is? The very first definition. Anybody there? Hello. Hello, can y'all hear me? I just looked it up on the Webster's 1828. Okay. Tell me what the first definition is. It's just one word, wipe. You got it. And that's exactly what the the framers meant when they said the word candid in that document. They meant, let this declaration be to a white world. They did not intend... How did they get away from that? Huh? So how did they get away from that? How did they get away from it? By the progressives coming in and progressing our our, our uh, nation mentally, by basically mentally, but with dialogue and also education, educating us that the framers intended for all people to be able to come to this country and live here and be free and have the same rights and everything as they had. That is absolutely 100% incorrect. That is not what they intended. They intended for their own only... If you look at the Declaration, what does it say in the first sentence? It says, when one people. What does that mean? One people. That means one certain kind of people. Does it mean all the people of the world? See? There's all kinds of things in the, in the organic law that, that will bring, you to the, bring the, uh, this, all this to your attention, that this is what they meant. There's all kinds of things. Your constitution. Go look at your constitution and you have your state, the original organic constitution, and tell me what it says. It says that only the white it only talks about the white folks in your constitution. They were the only ones, by the way, folks, that could possibly ever become citizens of the United States. Because that's what the Naturalization Act said. If you were natural born in this country and were Anglo-Saxon, you were automatically a citizen of the United States from birth. However, if you came from another country, Germany, Scotland, Ireland, Russia, uh, Australia, wherever, if you came from another country and you were Anglo-Saxon, you had to go through a process. And that Naturalization Act, which the Congress, by the Constitution, got the power to write and to... Uh, not rule over. They didn't. They what they did is they wrote it and they gave the gave it to the uh, the courts were the ones that had to had to deal with it. But the Congress got the power to create the Naturalization Act and the Constitution, and they did, and they created it properly. They didn't do it wrong. They did it right. Matter of fact, you can go to them. There's three of them that uh, pretty close together that all say the same thing. There was two of them that were repealed. Uh, the, the the three were 1790, 
which is right after the Constitution was was created, or was no, actually the ink on the Constitution was still wet when the naturalization first naturalization act was proposed and passed through Congress uh, in 1790, and and um, then uh, there were some problems with that act. Uh, the time element was was bad as to how long it took a person to become a citizen of the United States. And back then, you know, you you um, had carriages and horses, and you didn't have planes and cars and stuff to get around. So it took a little longer for people to get around to these courts and get all their documentation together and everything to become a citizen. So they started raising cane and saying they, they gave them one year in that first uh, Naturalization Act. And they said, well, one year's not, not long enough. We need longer, more time. So the Congress went back in 1795, which was five years later, and they, re, they repealed in its entirety the 1790 Naturalization Act and reenacted it, stating the same thing as to who could, who had, who could be a citizen of the United States and changed that time element from one year to five years. And then it rocked on until 1802. And I don't know, I can't tell you exactly what all they changed. And they, they, I know they, they didn't change who could be a citizen. They changed how you became a citizen is all they did. And in 1802, they repealed the 1795 Act and reenacted it in its entirety. They reenacted it and same people could become citizens, uh, but they changed the whatever they changed in the in the process of how you became a citizen, and that's it. And in 18, 1802 is the last act that has ever been passed on the Naturalization Act. If you look at all the things okay. that were done to it afterwards, it was it was actually amended, 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 and was never repealed. In in the real world. That we have to live in in the year 2015. Mm-hmm. How can knowledge of that get us from where we are to where we won't be? Okay. What we have to do is we have to do what we what we did originally in the very beginning, and that's become planish again. We have walked away from our heritage. We've walked away from our religion, true religion. We've walked away from our people. But, you know, I, I walk down the, let me tell you, I walk down the sidewalk, you know, and I pay attention. And if I see, it, there, are, there are more black people, more uh, Mexican and other, other race people that will say hi to me walking by than a white man. White men don't even give you the time of day. We have walked away from our own people, and we've got to become go back to being clannish again and reform our system and do it from within, see? And as, and as we reform the system, the other system will collapse. That's how you do it. Don't you, really that that sort of, uh, don't, don't you think that, that to expect people to change in such a fundamental manner has to come from the heart. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, be, that's the main place it has to come from. And it can't be a matter of just education or, or planning or organization. It has to come from within. 
Yes, absolutely. And it has to come from the love that you have for your brother. And I'm talking about your blood brother. If you have more love for your blood brother, if you if we have to we have to re think our to rethink or or reprogram our our minds to start being more uh willing to help our own brothers. There's nothing wrong with that, folks, <laughs> because if you do that, that's one way that you perpetuate your species of person, right? Otherwise, you're going to go into uh, non-existence. Eventually, you won't even exist. You're, that that, that uh, group of people won't even be around anymore. They will be homogenized into all the other people. And we'll all cease to exist. And when that happens, let me tell you, folks, this is what the push is for the world order. The push is to make us all become homogenized. And what happens when you become homogenized? Oh, you can no longer go back and claim the law of this land. If you do that, you cannot claim the law of the land any longer because you're not all the posterity. Only the posterity has inheritance in the soil. I know this is I know this is really hard to swallow. It's a pill bigger than I can swallow. Let me tell you. When I started learning all this, I went, Oh crap, you've got to be kidding me. Is this the really the way and then it all started dawning on me you know, what they have pushed to do to undo what the framers did for their posterity. It, 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 you can just see it. Once you understand the way it's supposed to be, it, it's it's like right in front of your face in three dimensions. You can see what they're doing very clearly. Listen to the media. I mean, they're always pushing to homogenize the people. They're always telling us that we're all in a melting pot. They're always telling us that we're just nothing but a bunch of lonely immigrants, they're always degrading those people who have an inheritance in the soil. And why? Because once all those people disappear, they can come in and take the land over and say, sorry guys, we just took over. You don't have any rights in the soil anymore because you don't. there's not any people to claim it that are the proper persons to claim it. See? Like for example, if you if you go to if you anybody has seen and I'm sure you guys have if you've seen um, uh, Braveheart, if you remember the king when he was in there with his council, he was talking to his council. They were trying to figure out how they could take take care of these Scotsmen, right? And he said, "Well, if we can't rile them out, we'll break them out." Now I realize that the English were of the Anglo-Saxon race, and so were the Scottish, right? But what he meant was, is to put our genes into their sons and daughters' genes, and they will be more apt to pledge allegiance to the British crown than if they were just pure Scotsmen, say. Because the Scottish people are actually a branch of the Germans. See, they, they're a branch off of the Germans. They're not... I got a question true for you. Yeah.
Mm-hmm. Um, seems like each year we get uh, we lose more ground as far as uh, yeah. the freedoms that we're supposed to have. So historically, to your knowledge, in the history of our country, at what time since the move away from all of this that you're describing in the law? Okay, very simple. Uh, Historically, at what time, to your knowledge, has there been the closest to being successful efforts to restore it? Or has there ever been? Well, let let me put it this way. Because if there hasn't been in years past, before we lost this much ground, I think to expect that it could be done at this 11.59 hour on the clock uh, situation is... uh, most unrealistic. Well, that's what they want you to think. That's exactly well, what they want you to think. think. Regardless I know that. Of what and, they want me to think, that's what I do think. Yeah, they're programming us to believe that way. But let me tell you, where else are you going to go in this world to be free if America disappears? You know, as the way I don't it's know of a single place. Okay. So that means we don't have a choice, does it? We have to be victorious or else. Well, you know, well, at like this point, what one guy said, I'll, I'll, I'll be victorious or I will be dead. At this point, we have with the way things have shaped up, I perceive that to be racial separatists and be very strict about it, like what you're describing, would play into their hands because that would just be another way of them dividing and conquering us. Well, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we... Because don't you know that they're trying to stir up strife between the races with, with all the events that that are, that are perpetrated. Um, They're trying to, they're trying to get us to fight one another. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But, but you see, we don't have to, we're not going to do it like the people are doing it today, like skinheads and and all these people out here that are, are trying to, you know, the, the Ku Klux Klan and all that stuff. We're not going to do it that way. The way you do it is through the courtroom, the courts. That's what I'm trying to do is get people to recognize that what we need is at least one person or maybe two or three that works towards trying to reset up one courtroom for the common law to function in, uh, in one county of your state. And when that when that common law court or that law court is actually reestablished by your county, then the people in the other counties of your state are going to say, "Wow, this guy got real justice." Hey. We want a court. We, they're going to go to their county and they're going to say, "Hey, we want a common law court in our county, like those that other county has, because we can't go over there because they don't have jurisdiction over us. So we have to have a court like theirs in our county, so that we can get redress of grievance. 
see, from the people of this other system. When they come and they step on your rights or don't give you rights or whatever, then you can take that up with the common law court, the grand, a common law grand jury, and bring charges against these people. And the common law court doesn't have any choice. Get this now. They're not political. The common law court has no political affiliation whatsoever. They can't afford to. The judge might be a Republican okay, or he might be a Democrat okay, but it doesn't make any difference because his affiliation with a party will not have any effect upon the way he uh, dictates, or not dictates, the way he uh, uh, pronounces what the law says or what the law is. It won't have any effect because whatever the book says, whatever the law, law in the book says, He's got to do that. He has no discretion. He can't change it. He can't give mercy. If a, if a, if a, a, a murderer comes in, he's found guilty of murder, the penalty's death, period. And there is no such thing as parole, probation, deferred adjudication, none of that. The law says you die. That's it. And the judge's got to pronounce that. I'm sorry. I can't give any mercy. I have no power nor authority to give mercy because I am not, I'm below the law. The law is above me. And whatever the law says, i got to do it. I have no discretion. That's what we have to have, see? And that's what they took away from us, is that power of the law being paramount or being sovereign. See, the framers said a long time ago, they said, let us not let us hear let us not hear any more from man, but chain his chain him down with the chains of the Constitution. And what they meant was the law. In other words, we're gonna make the law paramount in this country and the people are under its jurisdiction. That's the way it was. We were sovereign, the the people that owned the country you know, that has, had a claim in it, in other words, that had inheritance in the soil, they were sovereign because they owned the land. That's why they were sovereign. They were sovereign landlords. But back in the, in the Civil War days, they didn't call them sovereigns. Remember what they called them? They called them masters. And that's really a better term, would be a master or a landlord, either one. So, but the law was sovereign. See, we've got to look at that the way it really was, the way they really set it up. And once we understand that, now when we reset up government, government can't do anything except what the law says. They have no power to tamper with it or anything. And if they do tamper with it, they've got a problem in the common law court because when they're brought before a grand jury, and indicted, and if and if found guilty, the penalty is extremely severe under the common law. And that's going to stop all this stuff that they're doing today really quick. It's going to stop them in their tracks. Let one or two parties get charged with in a common law court and found guilty and put in prison, from which there is no... Um, uh, I mean, they've got an appeal, okay, but 
there is no uh, mercy whatsoever, you know, whatever the law says is, they're going to serve day for day whatever their sentence is or put to death whatever the case may be. Let two people, that happen to two of the people that's in this other system once. And let me tell you, the grapevine is going to be humming. Their grapevine is going to be humming. And everybody in their whole system is going to know probably by morning that these people were found guilty in these common law courts, and they're going to be deathly afraid of these common law courts. And that's going to change the way they act with us. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to cause a lot of them to give up the ghost and go away and leave their jobs. That's why I said that's what's going to make that system implode upon itself. Because that common law court will see to it that, I mean, I mean it, it's, it's going to, when it meets out the justice that the law says should be meted out, it's going to send a strong, strong message to those other people. So, now, what you'd have to have now is, is the process, how to bring that court into your county, right? I mean, that's what everybody's looking for is, well, okay, well, if we need a common law court, how do we do that? All right, well, it's not really that complicated, really. It's pretty simple. Who, who owns, who, who's the one that dictates what goes on in your county? Do you have, does anybody have any idea? Who says what goes on in your county? Isn't it the one with sure. the money? Huh? What'd you say? I said the sheriff has the highest authority. That what about the higher authority? The sheriff? No. The one with the money. Who's got the money in your county? Oh, of who, course. Who collects of the course. money? Yeah. The commissioners. Yeah. Right, county, county commissioners. commissioners. Okay. So you got to go to the county commissioners and say, we need a common law court. They're going to say why. And you better have a good explanation as to why. And the first one right out, right out of the bag should be so that we can become citizens at law. Because right now, without a common law court, and if you go to the Naturalization Act, you'll find out, that that's the only court that you could become a citizen in was a common law court. Oh, what does that say about everybody that's coming, trying to become citizens today? That means they're not citizens at law, doesn't it? It sure does. As a matter of fact, we haven't been able to become a citizen since 1906. In 1906, the process that the Naturalization Act said had to be what we had to go through in order to become a lawful citizen, was moved from the judicial branch to the legislative branch. And they called it, the, the department was the Department of Commerce and Labor. That's the legislative branch. And in 2001, they moved it again. And guess where they moved it to this time? Homeland Security. What branch of government is that? Executive. So, since 1906, 
nobody has been able to become a lawful citizen anyway because it hasn't even been in the right department or the right branch of government. See? And besides that, there was no common law courts. And the and the and the requirements under that Naturalization Act said you had to go through a common law court in order to become a citizen of the United States. Oh, and no, and not no other. And I think it said, uh, and not otherwise. In other words, you couldn't do it any other way. That was it. So that's how they disconnected us from even becoming citizens. So if you had some people that came over here after 1906, let's say your folks came from Germany uh, in 1908, let's say. Well, they came over here and they became citizens by applying to the Department of Commerce and Labor. And they they supposedly got a certificate that they were a citizen. But it wasn't worth the paper it was written on, folks. They didn't become a lawful citizen. They became a citizen emeritus at best. And so, anybody that was born through them, guess what? They're not citizens either. That means they got to go back, and whenever we get our common law courts back, they got to go back, petition the common law court to become a citizen. Just because they were natural born here does not make them a citizen if their parents weren't. They got a real problem. They've really twisted this around. But we're not looking at how they did it. We're not looking at all the the mechanic mechanics of it. And this is what I'm telling you is the mechanics of how they did it to us and how we have to turn it back around. But it's not as hard to fix something as it is to mess it up. It took them longer to mess it up than it's going to take for us to straighten it out. And I know there was a statement by a... Uh, and I can't remember who made this statement, but uh, the framers set this country up in, a, in such a way that, if it, that, that that it made it really hard for somebody to mess it up, but that if it was messed up, that it would be easy to fix. See? That's how they set it up. That's why they set it up the way they did. They had foresight. I mean, they had future vision that we only dream about, to, you know, because they wanted to make sure that this country was never, ever, that it never went away, that it would it would always be here for their posterity to come and the posterity after them and after them and after them into perpetuity. So let me get back to the common law court. The common law court, you have to go to your your your, your commissioners petition them and tell them that you have to have, you know, we have to have a common law court in the first instance because nobody can become a citizen of the United States by law if we don't because that's what the requisites of the current controlling law, 1802 Act, the Naturalization Act, says that we have to have a common law court in order to do it. So that's the first reason, and that's a major reason that's bottom line, really. It's, it's paramount because if you're not a if you're not a citizen of the United States, you're a nobody. So that's a pretty important uh, ground 
to tell them why we need the common law court. There's other reasons, too. You know, the, the courts of today are not supposed to be hearing common law issues like murder, rape, rob, and pillage. Only the common law court has the right to try those matters. These other courts don't. The only reason they're doing it is because they're in the common law court to do it. So they had to take it over to do it, and they're making lots of money off of it, by the way. And whenever the common law court's re-established, guess what? They're going to lose their docket, their criminal docket, aren't they? All the docket they have currently is going to go to the common law court because it's re-established. And they're going to start losing lots of money. That will be the first coup de grace to that system because it's going to put a huge dent in the side of their ship because they're going to lose lots of money doing that. Now, that means also that, guess what? All of your county jails will no longer be private. It'll go back to being a county jail. Now, it'll run down. It'll run down. It'll get real crummy. You know, because these private people that go that build these jails today, they make them real fancy and and they keep them up pretty good. But when it get becomes a county county jail again, they're not going to spend that kind of money keeping up the county jail. It's going to get kind of crummy. But we don't care because the criminals that are tried and put in them jails, they belong there, and they should be punished for their crimes. Today you go to jail, you're not really punished anymore. I mean, it's like a holiday camp in most of these jails. You got television, you got everything in the world, tennis courts, you know, basketball courts. You got all that stuff. Well, we don't want that for a criminal. We want to reform the criminal, make him stop doing crime. So we're going to put him in these places that are not kept up very well. They're drafty. They're nasty. Rats are crawling around. That's where we want them to be, so that it'll reform them. That's one of the problems we got today. We put our criminals in in these holiday camps, so-called jails, and when they get out, they go out and commit another crime because they don't mind going back to that same place. They don't mind that because they got all their buddies in there, and they got three meals a day and a cot and television and, you know, everything they want, you know, and they and they live off the state, and they don't have to do any work or anything. So they don't mind going back there, but that's not what we want. But anyway, to get back to it, the, the jails will be taken back over because it'll be county now, and the, and the, the uh, common law court, you know, wouldn't have any authority to put prisoners in in jail in a private jail. It has to go back to a county jail, or if that other jail wants to continue functioning, we'll have to build a county. We'll have to we'll have to get the the commissioners to build a different uh, county court, a county jail for the common law court to put our prisoners in. And, of course, they're not going to put out much money for it, so it's it's going to be, you know, right down to the penny building them, whatever is absolutely needed for it. But that's okay. I don't care about that. It doesn't matter. So, now, we do know that the commissioners are probably going to say, we're not going to give you any money for for no other courts. We got all the courts we need. That's what they're going to probably say, almost without exception, in every county. And so you got to be ready for that answer. 
And so what you do is you turn around, and what would be what would be common sense? What would be the next step that you would go through to redress that grievance from your county commissioners? Where would you go? You got to look at the subject. The subject is the judiciary. So where would you go? Well, you'd go to the highest judicial officer of your state, wouldn't you? And petition him to force your county commissioners to uh, commission the common law court in your county. Not only that, but you're going to make the sheriffs you're going to take the sheriffs away from those courts that are that they're working with now that don't belong there by the way those sheriffs are 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 merely employees they're not the same sheriff operating the same way with the same authority as they had when they were working for the common law courts those are their courts the law courts that's where the sheriff belongs that's why they're not being very effective today to help us because they're they're like a fish out of water. Matter of fact, they don't even have a tank to swim in. Common law court don't even exist. So they don't even have a place to, to even function. So along with getting the going to the highest judicial officer, which is the uh, chief justice of your Supreme Court of your state, uh, you petition for a writ of mandamus, which is the highest writ of order, Whenever they, whenever court orders a writ of mandamus or they issue a writ of mandamus, everybody has to stand at attention because those writs of mandamus are common law writs, by the way. And if they don't obey them, they go to jail. Period. I know that because I've talked to some of the people. I've talked to our our uh, constables here in our our town. I mean, I'm from Dallas, our Dallas County constables, and I asked him if. What what orders does can he or does he have to obey? And he said, Well, he said I can I can disobey all the orders except one. And I said, What's that? He said, A writ of mandamus. He said, If I disobey that, I go to jail. He said, So I have to follow that for sure to the letter. So you go to your your Supreme Court Chief Justice for a writ of mandamus. Not only. For, uh, ordering the county commissioners to commission a common law court in your county, but also a writ of man, a separate writ of mandamus to the sheriff's department to work exclusively in your county for the common law court. They cannot function or operate with those other courts anymore. So where is that other court? Where, where are that other courts? Uh, those other courts? Where are they going to get their enforcement from? The municipal cops, they're not going to have a sheriff anymore. See? So there's another big dent in the side of their ship, right? So see, that's how you have to do it. It's kind of like what George Gordon said one time. I remember I learned a whole bunch of stuff from him. He said, he said, well, you want to stop a train. He said, you don't stand out on the tracks and, and it coming 60 miles an hour at you and scream and holler for it to stop holding up the Constitution. He said, you don't do it that way. He said, you put some coins on the track to get the hell out of the way 
and derail the train, as soon as the train comes to a stop, you go over and knock out his headlight with a tack hammer. You, you've got to, and what he meant by that was you respect power. I mean, challenge authority, but respect power. So, instead of going at them, what I'm saying is instead of going at them and trying to force them to do it the way they're supposed to do it according to law, we don't do that. We abandon them and recreate what they destroy. See? It's simple as that. So all these people that are uh, trying to create the, you know, the grand juries and all that kind of stuff, they're perfect candidates for doing this because they already have a lot of knowledge of the common law courts and that kind of thing. All they've got to do is is to use their head and realize that, oh, if we don't have a place for this common law jury to function and be recognized, then I guess we better set that up first, huh? Duh. Right? Got to set that, that court up first. Very first thing. You got to have a judge. And you got to have a clerk, okay, and a common law uh, jury. And as far as the prosecution is concerned, uh, that's I'm not sure if, if attorneys can even be in there. I think they have to be lawyers, real lawyers that understand the law, uh, to be prosecutors. Also, uh, the general public also can prosecute cases as well. Did you know that? In a common law court, the victim has the authority to prosecute the case if he so desires. But it's up to him. It's up to him to decide whether he wants a a lawyer to do it or whether he wants to do it himself. See? Because he's the victim after all. He lost his loved one or whatever. He's the victim. So he has the right to do that in a common law court. But today, in these courts they operate today, they'd laugh in your face if you tried to if you if you decided you wanted to prosecute a case. They say, What are you crazy? But that's the way they function. They're functioning not according to the common law or to the law of, the, of this land. They're functioning in a foreign and alien uh, capacity. That's what it's all about. And basically, all the courts are really not even law courts. What they are are equity courts, courts uh, that are... Hi, um, I was wondering if... if, Hello? Hello? Hey, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, since it's an open forum and you've mostly had the floor, I kind of, I noticed that Joseph Bell was on the line with us, and I'd like to address him if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead. I'm dressed. I'm already dressed. Oh, hi, Joseph. How are you? Hi, how are you doing? Uh, no, the man is right. Uh, t- trying to get somebody to go to court is uh, absolutely ridiculous. I've been. You can uh, uh, write to ask a librarian with the government, and uh, they'll give you uh, basically the laws you can follow. Now, I've been trying to get this. Uh, Bush on a Brandenburg versus Ohio. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not well versed in, in anything. 
but uh, the free speech law he has violated since 1999. But if you can get a judge to go up before the uh, Supreme Court or any court, uh, you'd be hard pressed. He, he incited free speech is, uh, I'm sorry, 1969, when the Ku Klux Klan, of all people, filed suit against Ohio because they were being, uh, they were going to be thrown in jail for free speech. Well, in that case, the judges really ruled for uh, the Ku Klux Klan because the only way you can uh, put somebody in prison for free speech is if, if, if you... Um, you're talking to a crowd or anybody, you you incite them to do an unlawful act, and they go ahead and do that act, then then you can be thrown in jail. Well, Bush started in 1999. He said he wanted to attack Iraq uh, if he was elected president in 2000. Well, before, with all between that and uh, all the facts that happened. Even before 9/11, 9/11 sewed it up. But uh, everybody, the minute you mention 9/11 to somebody, they don't want to hear about it. So I've been accumulating all these papers, and uh, the Amer- have you ever heard the American Insti- Enterprise Institute? Sure. Okay. They uh, Lynn Cheney belonged to that. Now, what was she doing in the bunker with uh, Dick Cheney? She had no right there. But he was a trustee also on the uh, AEI and all the other neocons that are there. And they they took over the government. Basically, Joe Lieberman was on there. And Lynn Cheney wrote a book in 1993, The Constitution for Children. For, for youthful readers. And then in 2000, what do they do? They circumvent the uh, Constitution right off the bat. But if you study AEI, there are so many... There's a judge that I'm, I'm holding right in front of me. Lawrence Silberman is an appellate judge. He's the, just below the Supreme Court. And he says Bush did not lie to go to war in Iraq. Now, what kind of case are you going to present before this guy? <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. Cheney and Lynn che- uh, Dick Cheney and Lynn Cheney are on the AEI, and this new guy at the uh, Defense Department, Ashcan Carter. I call him Ashcan, not Ashton. He's a PN. He wrote the PNAC. Uh, so you, the combination, and he's been in the. I didn't. I didn't even know he was in the Defense Department since Clinton. Clinton had appointed him to a lower place, but now, awaiting Jeb Bush, they put Ashcan in 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 the lead role in defense. Now the quiet-looking guy, the nice-looking guy, the honest-looking guy, but. Between Zalikow, Ashton Carter, they all wrote stuff together, just like Rice wrote with Zalikow. And when uh, 
Tom Keene wrote the book uh, without precedent. On one of the pages after they picked Selikow for the uh, to chair the staff, he said, "Oh, Selikow's got the same idea I have: write a history of uh, Al Qaeda." Well, if people don't know about all the meetings that were held from March 31st. 2003 to April, I mean, June of uh, 17th of 2004. And these were not in the 9-11 report. And people don't know how to accept that because they don't know what the the hearings are. I I can send you all kinds of transcripts from the hearings and... uh, if you can't associate it with anything, in the third meeting of the uh, 9-11 Commission, all they had was uh, professors and scholars on uh, Al-Qaeda and Islamic rules. They had about 16 witnesses. Well, those weren't witnesses for 9-11. I mean, that whole meeting was wasted. And at the top of page two in the transcripts, uh, Keane says, we have to know all we can about Al-Qaeda so we can crush them. Now, that's prejudicial, according to Susan Lindauer. She wrote a book on uh, the commission being prejudiced. Well, she was right, but you have to get specific and Nobody will accept my stuff because I can't write. <laughs> I don't even have a vocabulary as good as my grandson, twelve years old, eleven years old. <laughs> no, that's not that's not so, Joseph. You write real good, and uh, it's an honor to have you on wow. with us again. This is Steve. So, this yeah, is good how you doing? Good, how you doing? <laughs> you do, you do. I'm not going to let you get away with that. You do write good. So continue. It's 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 yeah, very okay. interesting. Go ahead. But uh, between P and PNAC, Ashton Carter went to Clinton before he, he left office. I think it was in 1998 or 99, I can't remember which. And they wanted him to attack Iraq. And he said no. Well, the Harvard trustees approved this PNAC group. And, and if you look at the names in there, Jeb Bush is in there, uh, every prominent Republican you can think of. And I don't want to name any particular uh, nationality or religion, but if you look at these things, that, that's all you see. And I've mentioned before, I don't know if I mentioned on this program, but the Lower Manhattan Development Corporation, uh, if anybody studied that real well, and I have, uh, but again, there's so much to it. When George Bush opened that up in 2001, he gave $20 billion to the Lower Manhattan Development Group, and then the government gave $20 billion. Well, if you look at the leaders of that uh, particular opening, uh, Roland Betts, who, re- who owns the Chelsea Piers in uh, Lower Manhattan, uh, he renovated his entire place you can play golf off that place into the ocean. They have nets up there. You can hit golf balls out 
towards the ocean, and the nets will catch them. But Roland Betts owned the, the uh, Texas Rangers with Bush. I mean, how, how close can you get with trucks? They, they owned the, the Texas Rangers. They built a stadium with, with uh, taxpayers' money. When they sold the stadium and the club, they sold it as one part, and they didn't give the money back on the taxes. <laughs> so the, not that I care if taxes get screwed, but uh, that's that's the point of the whole thing. Uh, but the names, uh, that's all right. The names aren't, uh, on the uh, lower Manhattan started with Giuliani, Pataki, Silverstein, who's the owner, who was the owner of World Trade Center, uh, Eisenberg, who was the Port Authority, and uh, Tom Keene's office was up there in the fiduciary trust. And he also owned a restaurant at the top of the uh, World Trade Center called Aramark, but that's not the name they give. They just say the top of the hub. He had a restaurant up there that he inherited from uh, George Bush uh, the first in 1994. They had a restaurant in the Pentagon, and nobody's investigated these things. The FBI never investigated the FAA, even though Marty Bell just says in his uh, opening statement that the protocol was to notify the FBI and the NMCC. Well, they never communicated with the NMCC all day. And the FBI never responded. There was no reports of any FBI agents anywhere on 9-11, except at the World Trade Center after it came down. They were all there looking for clues, looking for passports that fell out of the airplane. Did Did you ever hear that one? No, that's right. A passport passport was found at the base of the World Trade Center in perfect condition. Right. So that means the the guy up there had to open a window, throw it out, (laughs) before he crashed into the building. (laughs) And some passerby picked it up and brings it in. And, and Tom King goes on to say they had four passports from the hijackers, two from uh, Flight 93, one from Flight 11 in Boston, and uh, was the, I forget where the other one was. Anyways, uh, if you read this book, it's just a riot. Because if you compare it to the uh, 9-11 hearings, which by the way, began one week after the war started on March 23, 2003. The commission didn't have their first hearing till uh, March 31st, and their second day was April April Fool's Day, April 1st, 2003. They had two. They have double meetings like that sometimes, two days. But there is not one witness legal witness in this entire hearing. You take Rumsfeld. He testified two different times. And the last one was at the eighth meeting. And at the end of his testimony, Keene says, uh, Mr. Rumsfeld, we want to thank you for all the help you've been to this 
to the commissioners and the uh, staff he, since day one. He's been running the show. He's right. a witness and a, and a and a perpetrator. That's right. He, he, he's, oh, it's, it's, I mean, if you see all the names in between, I've got tons of pages. I've been trying to get it on the computer, all of it. But uh, I'm keeping I'm them all. You sent me yeah. of it, and uh, Ray, this uh, uh, I, I've kind of given a nickname to Mr. Joseph Bell. He is the uh, he is the <laughs> senator. He is the senator Sam Irvin. So Joseph oh, okay. Bell is what Sam Irvin was to Richard Nixon. Joseph Bell is 9/11. Because if there was a 9/11 reinvestigation, Joseph Bell would be the Sam Irvin to take him down. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> right but, on. Uh, I, I picked up two books on the Constitution at uh, used book sale, and uh, one of them was from Archibald Cox. You remember Mr. Archibald? Oh yeah. The, uh, Watergate. And, uh, well, he wrote a book, and he's the one who's who, who tells you about uh, Judge Sirica, who, who decided that uh, Nixon didn't have any immunity. Right. I forget the yep. I forget the law he quoted, but I've got it down somewhere. Yep. And uh, so Bush didn't have any immunity not to testify. The nine eleven commission gave it to him. That's right. So I, I don't know. I don't know how we can, you know, like the veterans today. I, I think you've seen the newspaper. Yep. And uh, that's the first thing they said. You couldn't get a lawyer. You you, you know that the laws. Uh, I can quote you the, the law from the uh, how the commission was named by the Congress or signed in. It was law one, public law one hundred seven three hundred six, and each there's a breakdown for each of the things. They didn't need any. Uh, they didn't need any subpoenas. But Keene's book will say that. Uh, uh, what's his name? Dan Marcus, the counsel, the legal counsel for the commission, talked them out of getting any, uh, doing any subpoenas, because they didn't want to offend the, uh, the administration. And then, if you look at, you talk about conflict of interest. I can't even get the ABA to do anything about that, and that's not the American Bankers Association either. It's the American Barroom Association. That's yep. lawyers, bar, the American Bar Association. You've got five lawyers from the beginning on both sides of the fence working for Wilmer Hale Dorr Cutler. That was Gorlick, the FBI Director Muller, Dan Marcus, the uh, gentleman who was a legal, he's not a gentleman, the legal counselor for the for the commission, uh, Stephen Dunn and Dana Hyde were on the uh, 9/11 staff, and then Jamie Gorlick had joined this uh, firm in June of 2003 while she was still a commissioner. Now, come on, <laughs> and I can present that to anybody, and they still look at it like a, yeah, okay, <laughs> go ahead and prove it. But then Fielding, who's also a commissioner, yep. Fred Fielding, remember him from Bush in 2000? Right. Or even before that. Yep. 
Now, he was uh, attorney general, succeeded or preceded uh, Lloyd Cutler, the original starter of Wilma Hale Dorr, and Harriet Myers. Now, if that isn't a conflict, he should... <laughs> How they got him on the board is, like, uh, unbelievable. Yep. But, but then you look at the people who, who nominated uh, four of these directors, commissioners. Uh, one was Trent Lott. I forget which two he nominated. And the other was Dennis Astert. And Astert is like, uh, you know, gone with the wind. <laughs> he, he resigned uh, because of that land thing he tried. A $300,000 piece of land where a new highway was going to go through. He bought it in, in a farmland before anybody could uh, stop him. Not that they would have stopped him, but because uh, one involves the other. So it's... Uh, oh, and I just picked this up today. Uh, yeah. The... Uh, United Kingdom's Guardian, yeah, blasting blasting the uh, U.S. media on Sybil Edmonds' case. Yes. Well, Sybil Edmonds uh, named so many people that were uh, that you could call them espionage uh, spies, and in, in, that she named all these government people. But on on this particular case, there was uh, a, a, a woman. I didn't know it was a woman, Melikan Dirksen, right? Who was an Egypt Egyptian spy, mm-hmm. and a Turkey Turkey, and she came to the United States, and they put her in the FBI <laughs> without any uh, background check. The FBI didn't know she was spying on them. <laughs> With the, uh, <laughs> so the, and Jamie Gorlick did one really good thing in this uh, in this uh, hearing, but this is it boggles my mind how anybody could say there was a unanimous decision, except they had a gun to their heads. Jamie Gorlick told George Tennant and Condi Rice when she interviewed them that the FBI was it knew nothing, did nothing. And they were feckless. I had to look that word up. <laughs> but uh, she blasted them on this. And in 2005, she and uh, Muller were, try- were, were, were getting rid of all the uh, computers that the FBI had. Right. Well, that's, uh, you know why they were getting rid of them. <laughs> yeah, taught them in. But, uh, the, and Senator Grassley was the only one who objected. Yep. And Senator Grassley was the only one that helped civil evidence. And the uh, internal investigation on the, at the DOD, Joseph Schmitz, resigned when Grassley confronted him. Mm-hmm. And he was named in August of 2004. I don't know if you're familiar with the charges that were brought against the FAA and the Department of Defense. Six charges were filed against them, but the commission never followed up on it. Of course not. And the two, the, the two guys they sent it to was this 
One was Joseph Smith and the DOD, and the other one was, uh, I think, Ken Meade in the uh, FAA. Right. Well, I don't know what happened to Meade because he, he, he must have taken off without any <laughs> leaving any signs behind because he was gone. Right. So it was left to, in 2006, this guy from the FAA, Todd Simza, takes over the investigation. And he clears everybody of it. Hmm. Well, it was impossible to clear everybody of it. If he had looked at the video of June 17, 2004, the FAA, uh, he had to nail them. Right. It, it was so it was so phony to start with. But uh, unless I, uh, I you were here to, to see the video at the same time, did it, did I give you the C-SPAN video? Uh, yeah, you did. URL. You sent that to me a long time ago, and also I was going to say too that your your humor with some of the cartoons and the parodies you made, Joseph, are just they are so good. I love your humor. <laughs> some, of the, some of the cartoons you send, they are just they crack me up. But my God, man, and I tell you, I just when I get to your age, I sure hope I have my, all my snaps is working like you do, my friend. Because man, you're like a you're like a, a the best firing computer I've ever seen. You really, uh, you're really something. You, you're just you, you spout that stuff right off the top of your tongue. I mean, that's just yeah. incredible. So, yeah, you're you definitely, like you're definitely a good fellow for the 9/11 truth. There's just so much stuff in it that uh, I was working with this lawyer one time, but uh, yep, I, I was sending him too much information that he couldn't keep up to. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it wasn't. He couldn't. He I, don't the FAA. I don't know if he had time because he was still teaching yep. in college, so I don't know if his time was that limited. Right. But he he presented a case in New York mm-hmm. on uh, with Judy Woods mm-hmm. on uh, Building 7. Right. And they were thrown out of court. Yeah. But he of was course. the second attempt at it. Yeah. That the NIST was... Uh, Totally wrong on their their uh, investigation. So, right. but they threw him they threw him out of court too. But uh, <laughs> when you go with Judy Wood and, and the people are still, you know, talking about her like it was, you know, her stuff. I didn't read her stuff, but uh, from friends of mine on on the internet that read her, uh, she's the number one. Right. And even uh, that former governor there. Uh, Oh, up in Wisconsin. Yep. He was a Navy SEAL guy there. Yep. Uh, Ventura. Right. Well, he 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 argued with Alex Jones one night. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. He told Alex Jones that uh, she was right. And yep. Alex Jones kept saying no, 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 and well, that went by the windows too because it's so difficult to explain. Right. Unless you want to sit here for an hour and watch all my videos. <laughs> it's, it's like that in her case. I yeah. couldn't read her book because it's too technical for me to start with. I understand the premise behind it, but that's all. Yeah. And uh, But I couldn't quote her or, or, or this lawyer friend of mine. Uh, he's in Phoenix. He's retiring, but he never retired totally. He was at the University of Texas. 
and uh, just came across him accidentally. But uh, and he tried to make you know tried to get me to organize my work, and that was the worst part because every day I'm trying to organize it, I come up with something new, and I'm <laughs> and I go off on a tangent. So it's it's totally besides my uh, personal life, it's like uh, a zoo. Yeah, you got you got a lot of material. A lot of material that you uh, you come up with is it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like you're still right there, Joseph. I mean, like in uh, 2000, 2001, 2002, you're just you're right on top of it. So uh, yeah, well, that's you. where I thank followed you. it up from. Uh, yeah. I thank you for all the stuff you sent. It's it's nonstop, and uh, you're just well, uh, you're just the most on top of the, on top of it guy I know. I mean, you really are. So uh, yeah, you got some really okay, good stuff. Before I sign off, I want to give you one more piece. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, no, don't. There's no rush. Go, go right ahead. You know, share your. I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought, but yeah, go ahead. Because no, uh, no, no, it wasn't the interruption. Yeah, uh, it's by bed. Way past my bedtime. <laughs> okay. But uh, talking about the AEI. Yeah. In 2001, mm-hmm. they sent this. George Bush sent this guy over there, Michael Novak. Right. He's a uh, Catholic theologian. Right. Try to convince the Pope that uh, winning the war in uh, Iraq was a just war. Mm-hmm. Now, you tell the theologian that, and it, it's it's just like this uh, judge. He's, I mean, they're so warped; it's unbelievable. Right. No, Judge Bush didn't lie about uh, going to war in Iraq, and he's. Adamant about it. Okay, I got to wash up and uh, get to bed. <laughs> hey, Joseph, thanks for coming on with us. It's an honor to have you with us and keep the emails coming to me. This is Stephen Charlotte, and uh, that was Dee Dee earlier. So, uh, you know, take care of my friend. And you're, you're, I always look forward oh, okay. to seeing your, uh, your new material. And like I said, your humor is just, I really like your cartoons and your, your lines and drawing and, and making your point. It's just really, yeah. it's really refreshing. So you've got an awesome sense of humor, and uh, you keep fighting the fight. And you know, my hats off to you, my friend. Well, thank you because you're one of the few that can appreciate the humor in this thing. Because ah. it, if you get right down into a dirt, you know, dig it up. It's, it's. Uh, you feel sorry for all the people that died and all of the wars and everything. That's right. When you get into the meat and potatoes with the FAA and the military, right. it's just one big joke. I mean, they they try to cover up for each other. So, okay, you and Dee, Dee take care of yourselves, and I'll I'll get back to you. Thanks, Joseph. Right. Take care, Have sir. Good night. Bye bye. Thank you. Yeah. What a good guy, man. Ray, you still on? I'm here. Yeah, Joseph. I think Joseph is 81 or 82. Uh, I've never seen I've never seen anybody so right on top of 9/11 stuff. I mean, it's it's he he picks stuff up. You know, like he doesn't even look it up. He just bam, it's right out of his head. I mean, he can quote you back stuff from. The investigation, the phony investigation, everything, the FAA and the whole nine yards. The guy's incredible. 
never seen my very sharp, very sharp for eighty years old. God. I mean, he is. He's I think the same age as Sam. I think he's eighty-one now because uh, he, you know, I, I really wish sometime we'd get get your friend Roger on with him because you know he'd like you know Roger, Roger being an attorney and all. But uh, yeah, he, yeah. The problem with Roger is is that he. <laughs> He was at me yesterday. Is that he repeats the same thing oh, yeah. over and over and over? He's in a loop, you know. And if you try to have a normal conversation with him, yep. he gets very frustrated. I mean, I try to talk about what the success that we've had with my neighbor, right. who's been getting robbed by her relatives, and mm-hmm. how we got the will changed, and how we got the locks changed, and how we've we've been able to do this justice thing, you know. Right. And, he just gets so frustrated. He won't let anyone else speak. Mm. Um, he likes to come by here and visit me, and he does that occasionally. But you can't have a conversation with him because he's just stuck in a loop, you know. Well, he's Edie, stuck how long a... ago was it when they put him in the hospital, like you mentioned a while ago? Oh, gosh, I'm not sure exactly. But, you know, despite that, he's still they're still having success in the courts here, and and they're still doing some stuff, but um, mm-hmm. uh, he just don't even enjoy his visits anymore. But I do appreciate what I've learned from him. You're right. And, um, but to get him on the program would be, I think... I got you. I, got I don't you. know how he would do. But he just... I will send you a link to a, a, a broadcast that he just did for cable access. Oh, cool. In fact, I'm in it. I'm in the courtroom with him at, at that point some time ago. But oh, I'll send that out to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep. Yeah. I'll make a note here. Well, I'm glad we got Joseph to talk because that means a lot to him. You remember he was on? What was it, about a year ago? And you know, we kind of acknowledged him, and you know, he, it really meant a lot to him. He, he's a good fellow. I like him. And like I said, he he sends me so much material. I mean, three, four emails a day. You know, with the uh, 9/11 information. I mean, I've got a whole stack of stuff. I mean, God knows if anybody's going to do a and you know open up a uh, an investigation, an um, outside investigation to put, he'd be the guy. His research is just unbelievable. I've never seen anybody. He's, he's relentless with his work. So, and at his age, just you know, God bless him, man. He's he's a good fellow. Good fellow. I like him. What state is he in? He's in Pennsylvania. He, he's actually in Sam's. Neck of the woods. I thought he was around here in the south, but no, he's in. He's up in Pennsylvania, I believe. Huh. And uh, nice fellow though. And he's he's he when he came on last year, he, he was eighty. So I think he's around eighty-one now. Wow. I think it was his birthday. As a matter of fact, it was his eightieth birthday. I remember him talking about that. You know, it's my eightieth birthday, and uh, you know, it was his birthday that that night he came on. You know, this might this might be his birthday tonight too. I don't know. I probably just said it. Happy birthday to him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, I'm going to go, Steve. It's been a great call. Um, it was, you know, great to have Joseph on. And, and thanks, Ray, for all your input, too. Yep. Just yeah, try, so, trying uh, to keep it alive, eh? Yeah, Fred's going to have something uh, going on. Uh, he's got a guest, I think, set up for next week, and we're going to try to get Sam, I mean, not Sam, but uh, um, Ed Crosby back on with us. And uh, so uh, I think he's been under the weather for about a month now. I don't know what what's going on with his health, but uh, you know he was supposed to be on about four weeks ago, and he was pretty sick then. He had to back out then, and a couple weeks ago, and so Fred said he's still not feeling up to par. So he's got a lot of information.
information to share too with his veterans fight. So uh, hopefully we'll we'll hear something from him. But I do know Fred's got somebody coming in next week. It'd be pretty good. So uh, outside of that, everybody have a good one, and uh, we'll see you next uh, next Thursday next week. You too, Steve. Bye, Ray. Kelly Hall. Anybody want to you know, you can only talk. We'll still keep the line open, but uh, outside of that, everybody have a good one. A-U-N, American Underground Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.